is not the answer Never was, never will We will never live in peace unless and until We learn to love each other Not bomb, maim and kill Cause war is not the answer Never was and never will Hello, my name is Julie Estime with Massachusetts Peace Action, and you're listening to Peace Zone. Peace Zone is a series featuring a wide variety of expert speakers who all want the same thing, peace. We'll do our best to keep you up to date with the most pressing issues of injustice. This week's episode comes from the Building Sustainable Security Conference that happened November 21st. In this segment, Carl Williams, staff attorney from the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts, spoke on the new black liberation struggle. Um, I'm going to go off my script a little bit because we're here in uh, uh, you know, the, Ivy, uh, the Ivy League, Howard Halls, and um, I'm going to have to, I wouldn't be me if I didn't push back against that. Not, not a little bit, but a, a hell of a lot. Um, I'm going to say some words and I'm going to see who knows it, so it's a little bit of a test. Royal must fall. Tell me if you know what that is. All right. So this school, right, Harvard Law School, was founded um, by a, a donation, one donation, uh, in, um, in 1730, endowed the first ever uh, law professorship at Harvard University. The Harvard Law School didn't exist at the time. Uh, that came from, I don't say a person who owns slaves, because that sounds, it's a passive way to say it, from a slaver. But it was, it was actually worse than a, per, than a person who owns slaves or a slaver. It was someone who, who also sold slaves. It was also someone who killed slaves. I actually can't say murdered, because actually at the time, that was a legal thing to do, but killed and tortured slaves and encouraged others because there was an uprising in, in Antigua, and the royal family did that. The seal of, there probably is one in this room, but I can't see it. Um, and if there was one in front of me, I was going to take it down. I wasn't going to stand, I, was, I wouldn't stand behind a Nazi one, and I wouldn't stand behind a, a royal one either, or a Harvard Law one, which took it from the royal family. So there's a movement going on, and pe have people heard of Tapegate? You all know that. Do people come through the hallway in Wasserstein downstairs and see the response to Tapegate? Yeah. So a bunch of things are happening at this, at this university, at this law school, to rebel against a system. Because this school itself, and the Ivy League, and the, and the educational system in this country are factories for the common thought in this country. Because people come out and they think in a certain way, and I went to law school and I said, you have to think in this way, and you can argue both sides of issues. And a lot of times, the other side of the issue, almost all the time, is the evil side. Right? And this school teaches you that, right? and all law schools teach you that, but essentially Harvard Law School and Yale Law School. Um, teach those things. And so folks can go online, folks can go downstairs, uh, folks can talk to the black law students and students for inclusion here at Harvard Law School and find out about Royal Must Fall. That's connected to uh, a, a multinational movement um, at Oxford University. What do y'all think it is at Oxford University? Oh, say what it is at Oxford University. They have a very famous scholarship there, right? The most famous one in the world, named Rhodes. after Cecil right? Rhodes. And it, so it's what? Who must fall it's at Oxford? Rhodes must fall. And some folks in sub-Saharan Africa are talking about what? Roads must fall. So that isn't just, and I, I'm going to use that to segue into talking about movements today and movements here in, in the United States and across the, across the world, and the Black Liberation Movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. But that's part of what's happening here. Downstairs, right now, there are stickers on on the the, um, the African American, Black, and African uh, professors, also which are very few at this university uh, and at this law school, um, supporting those folks. So you actually can 
go and put a sticker and support some of those folks. Uh, some of those folks actually said things about the fact that people put black tape. Uh, in the last few days, people probably know put black tape over the black professors' faces. Uh, here, uh, I had a discussion. I was talking. I spoke here yesterday, and a lot of this, the faculty here was like, it, it couldn't have been a student. A student here would have never done that. I said, who said it was a student? We thought it was faculty. <laughs> right? They say, oh, someone came in off the street at 3 o'clock in the morning to door pass something, because no one at Harvard would ever do that. <clears throat> so I say that, and I'm going to segue into, I'll come back to that in a second, but talk about this moment the Black Lives Matter movement, the Black Liberation movement that's going on in this country. And um, uh, when the introduction happened, we were talking about intersectionality. And in the Black Liberation movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, so there's a lot of pieces to that, because what that means, and I won't go into all of that, but there are a lot of different uh, groups, a lot of different organizations, a lot of different individuals that don't particularly agree, just as there are in, in um in many other uh, segments of our activism. But the three people who actually came up with the idea of saying those words together, Black Lives Matter, um, that's Alicia Garza, uh, Opal Tsimsetti, uh, and uh, Patrice Cullors. They, in their thought, and they, in their individual, who they are individually, are intersectional. A lot of times, they were just on, uh, in Cosmopolitan Magazine, they were on a cover of something else, but have been sort of lauded for their work and, and um, uh, seen as leaders in this movement, and rightfully so. They are women. They are black. They are some queer. They are Latina, right? They, we as black people in this country struggling for freedom are intersectional in ourselves. So it isn't an overlap, so I'll just agree actually with what someone said. It isn't an overlap of issues. It is an identity of issues that we all are. I am an overlap of some issues. I'm black and I'm native and I grew up poor and I'm not anymore. But those are different things and different pieces that overlap in all of us. Right? And what uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has, it, it didn't go out and say, we want to talk to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and other folks. Brothers and sisters and other folks. Um, so it didn't say, we want to go talk to these people. It was those people. Right? It didn't say, we're going to go talk to the immigrants' rights movement. Right? One of the people is a first-generation Nigerian immigrant herself. Right? One of the people who founded Black Lives Matter is, defines herself as African and Nigerian, not as African American, right? So those things were at the very core of the foundation of this movement. So when people started talking about Palestine, it wasn't because they said we should talk about Palestine, it's because people already were, because people in the Black Lives Matters movement, of course, African Americans, black people, Africans in the United States, shockingly enough, are Muslims. Right? So those things came absolutely naturally to it. It wasn't like we went to something else to find those things. Um, and I think that's crucially important. Um, some folks in the room know about it. I'm, uh, I'm, I, see, I see you in the back. But talking about black and Palestine, from the jump, right from the beginning, that was no one had to convince anyone, no one had to sell anyone on it, no one had to explain Palestine. The Dream Defenders of Miami, folks who are in this room, uh, folks across the country have said, the struggle that Palestinian folks are struggling, the struggle that Arab Americans and Muslims are struggling for in the United States, um, issues about Syria, those are natural to us. Those make sense to us. Those are sort of, uh, uh, I'll even use the word, indigenous to the struggle um, of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and the struggle for black liberation. So 
I'm going to tell for anyone, I see some other folks in the room who, I, I just spoke at a thing last night for with Community Change and the great work they're doing, um, the anti-racism work they're doing in Massachusetts, so I'm going to tell a story that I told last night, so apologies to anyone who heard this before. Um, but uh, And it's a silly joke, so I apologize for that. So there are two fish swimming in a, in a, in a stream, right? two young fish. And they're having a nice time, they're swimming along, and they can talk, because it's my story. Uh, and, and an older fish swims up to, next to him and says, the water's really nice today, isn't it? And the two fish look and say, yeah, the water's really nice. And the two younger fish swim on, and the older fish swims away. They swim a little bit longer, and one of the younger fish looks at the other younger one and says, what the hell is water? <laughs> That's what is happening today. It's what is happening literally in this room and in this building at Harvard, at Harvard Law School. We don't notice the water because it's always been there. We were born in it. We swim in it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You can barely even feel it because it's always been around us. That has a name. It is a system. It is white supremacy. Right? It is white supremacy. That is why when we, eat, when we talk about immigration, right, we always say, oh, immigrants are treated poorly in the United States. I'm going to say something very radical to you all right now. Immigrants are not treated poorly in the United States. Everyone's looking at me like, what is he about to say? He better come out of this. <laughs> Immigrants of color are treated poorly in the United States. And you need to say that. When's the last time anyone said a damn thing about a Norwegian immigrant, right? If someone gave a reference, yeah, there are illegal Norwegians in, I should say undocumented. There are undocumented Norwegians in Massachusetts. And what are we going to do about it? When I, I went to the, law, the University of Wisconsin, right? The, the year that I came, that's when it shifted. Most of the undocumented people in Wisconsin were from geography where? Scandinavia. No, 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 closer. <laughs> Canada. They were all from, it's right there. They just have to walk across and they're saying things like magazine and flag. I was like, they're illegal. We need to do something about them. I'm kidding. I wouldn't call them illegal. Um, but that's who it was. Nobody talked about immigration, illegal immigration, uh, undocumented immigration. Nobody said that's a bad thing. We shouldn't have these people here, right? When it switched, it's about 2003, 2004. That's when this, it switched from mostly people from Canada to mostly people from Latin American countries that historically the United States had bombed and done terrible things and stole their resources. So they wanted to come and get some of the stuff that's theirs, naturally, and said, look, we want to work here because you, you stole all of our resources which seems to be a natural thing for human beings to do. Um, when that happened, then people started talking about immigration. People say, we, we don't want these people in our state. We don't want these people in our country. And they started electing crazy anti-union governors in, in Wisconsin. But that, I think we, we should also talk about that. That, that the, the reasons that you have presidential candidates saying crazy things about refugees, that say crazy things about immigration, that say we need to pay, bomb countries back into the Stone Age, they're talking about black and brown countries. So the struggle for black liberation is not a thing that's saying, we just want the police, and I'll say we do want the police in Dorchester to stop killing us. We want the Boston police to stop shooting us, killing us, beating us, stopping and frisking us, arresting us for minor or even major drug crimes because the war on drugs should be over. It should never have started. It is not a failed war. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to incarcerate multi-millions of black and brown and to a lesser extent poor people, and it does that. So never say that the war on drugs failed because the war on drugs is part of a system of capitalism to keep poor and oppressed people poor and oppressed, and it's doing that thing very, very well. And they wrote it for that. Right? They wrote it to do that. So when someone says the war on drugs has failed, you don't, if you say that, you do not understand what the war on drugs was for. 
Because the people who made it, they wanted it to be that way. And it's working. And we need to understand, just like the water, right? We need to be like, oh, there's water around us. I didn't notice that. Um, so one thing uh, I just wanted to uh, talk about specifically is the thing that we can all do. Um, in uh, As a lawyer... We have a thing called movement lawyering that we talk about how we can be with people and how we can support um, and be part of uh, social movements and movements for liberation. And we got a five-step plan for that because we're lawyers and we like lists. Um, but this works. I think it works well, and you all can apply it to uh, the work that you do and the work that you see others doing. And it, says, it goes like this. The first thing that we do as lawyers is not like litigate, not decide what the case is, not look up a bunch of case law. The first thing we do is show up. Right? We're there for people. So when Black Lives Matter demonstrates with 15,000 people in the streets uh, to protest the, the uh, non-indictment of the murder uh, Darren Wilson, we go to the protest. We're there, right? And we see people and we say, well, you seem to be being aggressive with those police. Damn good for you. We're here. And we're here with some other lawyers. So when people get arrested, they shouldn't, but we're here, right? We show up. The second piece of that is without an agenda. We don't come there and say, oh, like, oh, all of you people who are here, you should sign my petition or you should do my thing. Or we have this legislative lobbying piece for you to do. You show up for people and you're there to see what work oppressed people are doing in their communities, right? To see what they're doing. Because that's building that community. That's building that trust. Um, so first thing is show up. Second, when some people say show up and shut up, I don't like that. But I like show up, come without an agenda. The third is choose sides. When you're there, when you're with oppressed people, you say, this is the side that we're on. We're not here to teach you something. We're not here to force you to do something else or work on some other issue. The labor movement does this constantly. You don't go in with a bunch of janitors and say, here's 10 things you should do because you're doing your things wrong. It's, you're there to build power with those people and to support those people. So show up, no agenda, and choose sides. Support the oppressed people. The fourth one is do work. Right? Be there with people and put in work. Right? And if people need things to be done, put in that work. And I think a lot of us have a lot of connections to things like this nice room. Right? There are a lot of people who would really like to have this nice room to, uh, uh, to have a meeting or to organize or to work uh, uh, and put events together. And actually, it has been used. It has been used for some good things, also some bad ones. Um, and the last one is it's specific to the law, but I'm sure you can see it. Know that you're, we say that the, know that the law is not the solution for everyone's problems. So I work for the ACLU. A lot of times we go in places and people say, wow, I have an idea. If you guys would just sue those people and because they're racist or because they're destroying the environment or because they're doing this other thing, you should just sue them and then they will have to stop doing that and then we'll be free. I say, wait, the law is the enemy for us in many things. It's what enslaved us. It's what Jim Crowed us. It's what has the new form of social control that is the war on drugs, the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, those are things that are bad. If the Supreme Court, if federal judges, if state court judges were on our side for the most part, we wouldn't have any of these problems to begin with. But they, it was written into it that that structure and the way that that structure is formed is an oppressive structure in itself. How do you think three million people got in uh, incarcerated facilities and another three million on, pr on uh, probation or parole? I'm like, because that system is part of the thing that we need to destabilize, we need to crush, and we need to, to uh, change to a just system.
But I think those five steps are ones that we all can apply to our daily work, to the, the, our ways of being and supporting social movements, joining in with social movements, in our own social movements, making them, uh, and I'll say because I wouldn't be real if I'm not, making those uh, spaces uh, more inclusive spaces, but also going to other spaces and being in other spaces uh, where people are, are naturally organizing, right? Pe where people are naturally organizing in their churches, in their mosques, um, in their, uh, against, you know, things that are happening in their community, um, here in Boston, in Roxbury, in Dorchester, Mattapan, like every day, things are going on, there are other meetings going on right now where people are doing that, uh, that type of organizing. Um, so that is the thing that I think we ultimately need to change in this country, and people come to me all the time and say, we need to change these laws. Like, no, we need to change the culture of this country. There was, and I'll just end with this, the realest thing that I've heard in this, the entire black liberation uh, struggle, the new black liberation struggle that has been born um, after the murder of Mike Brown, um, is there was, uh, there was a sheriff's deputy who was killed in Texas. And a district, the district attorney of the county and the sheriff of the county came on TV on Fox News and said, um, we're talking about it. And this, the district attorney, uh, she was furious and she said it's these Black Lives Matters protesters, they're doing this, they're they're creating this situation where people hate cops and these people murdered this cop because of that, which is not true at all. But that's what she was saying. But then in that rant, she said the single most real thing I've heard anyone ever say in this movement. She said, these people are trying to change our very way of life. <laughs> and I looked and I said, you are damned right. Thank you, Carl Williams, for featuring in this third segment of Building Sustainable Security. For more information about upcoming events, visit www.masspeaceaction.org. Thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.